Autumn, you can go ahead and start that stream. We're going to be in John chapter 1, and uh, we've been progressing through John 1. And we really have been going verse by verse here. Um, so we've gotten, as of Sunday, we've gotten all the way through verse 5 of chapter 1. And I also uh, jumped over to verse 9. And so I'm going to, um, I have this bit memorized, but I'm going to go ahead and read it with you. Um, now I have the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 update uh, that will be available to you uh, online on the screen or here uh, in the room. It will be on this screen right here. Um, I don't even know what translation I memorized this in, but it's very close to this. But I'm going to read it anyway so that we'll stay with it. And I will, uh, I'm going to read down to verse 13. And uh, we'll see if we get that far tonight. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of mankind, humankind, human beings, right? And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it or comprehend it or overcome it or overpower it. Verse 6, now we're going to do, um, we're going to look at verse 6 through 8 when we talk about John the Baptist. So I'm going to kind of read it, but we're going to skip over it. Uh, as far as our verse by verse tonight. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So once again, Jesus, the word, is the light, the light of life. Verse 9, this was the true light, so we're back to Jesus again, that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, or his own people, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right? So let's go back. I'm going to recover some of the things that we talked about on Sunday morning. I don't know how I'm going to, how or if I'm going to keep doing this. I'm trying to be more focused on a topic that comes from the text on Sunday morning and then continue to go verse by verse on Wednesday. Um, so uh, Sunday morning, I talked about the light of life and focused on um the meaning of life and how Christ gives the meaning or gives meaning to our lives. Um, I guess the most um, popular example for that would be the example that I gave of the T-shirt that was popular in the 90s where it said something, on, you know, it would, it would just give something that people are into. Like I remember a, a popular topic was basketball and it would say, basketball is life. The rest is details. And, you know, I would see baseball is life. The rest of details. 
So somebody could be into dance, right? Dance is life. The rest is details. Theater is life. The rest is details. That's what you're getting life out of. So I focused on Sunday on our need to return to Jesus for life because he provides the only lasting life for us. He's the light of life. He's the meaning for life, okay? In him was life and the life was the light of mankind. So again, does life have meaning? Well, there's a lot of people that don't think it does except whatever meaning you assign it, right? So I guess all of the cowboy fans are happy right now, right? You know, do you remember that song from the 80s? Owner of a lonely heart, better than owner of a broken heart. By a band called Yes, right? So I haven't been paying attention to the Cowboys because they're just heartbreakers, quite frankly, right? It's like you get into a game and half the time they're going to lose the game. Now, don't think I'm not a Cowboys fan. I just can't let my heart go out to that anymore. I can't let that be my life because it's, you can't do anything about it. How about this kicker? He missed four extra points. How do you do that? If you are a professional kicker, I started thinking, did he get paid? Right? I mean, maybe I'm being a conspiracy theorist, but how can you miss four, four extra points? So at first I was feeling sorry for him. And then I was like, eh, how much money did you take for doing that? Because I don't know. But again, I didn't watch the game Monday. I didn't pay attention. And, and, and I, I didn't ignore the game. I just didn't realize it was being played, right? Um, and so then I saw that the Cowboys won. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, cool. That's awesome but now they're going to play the 49ers right are they going to win that game who knows i hope they do sure great but the quarterback for the 49ers apparently is a really really strong and vocal christian guy i'm going to tell you the truth i want the people that rep jesus to do well i don't care who wins if the cowboys win that's great like i said i've been a cowboys fan since junior high i long before i came to texas but you know, if the team that reps Jesus wins, I'm for them, right? Because Jesus is life, right? That's where the meaning comes from. So people are seeking meaning in all sorts of different things. We're um, apart from Christ. We're in the dark, groping for meaning and purpose for our lives in a complex, and we're like complex biological organisms pursuing nothing more than survival, but Jesus defines and describes the meaning of life. When people close their eyes to him, there's nothing more than to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Listen, that's why people party, okay? Maybe they party hard or maybe they, you know, party light, but that's why they party. They're just looking, they're looking to medicate their pain. Right? They're looking to blind themselves to the reality that if they're not following Jesus, even if they're a Catholic or a Baptist or whatever they claim to be, if they're not following Jesus, they have no meaning for their life. So they just go out and get drunk all the time or get high all the time or go from partner to partner to partner, blah, 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 and you know, try to assuage their pain with all of that. Try to blind themselves to the reality that their life is meaningless, Okay. When people close their eyes to Jesus, there's nothing more than that. 
What follows that what I'm about to read is the assessment of Blaise Pascal. So Sue, you were a math teacher. Pascal was a mathematician. Um, and what? And a philosopher. He was a physicist also, okay? Um, he died young. So we were mourning the fact that one of our members lost her mother at the age of 62. Blaise Pascal died at the age of 39. He had not very long prior to his death, previous to his death, he had become a Christian. And he was in the process of writing a book to provide reasons, intelligent reasons for faith, okay? Well, he never finished that, but he had a lot of notes, okay? And so after he died, they assembled all of his notes and they published them and they called them the pensées, the pensées, right? Uh, French for his thoughts, okay, the pensées. Here's uh, what he said concerning his thinking about life prior, prior to Christ. He said, Blaise Pascal, I know not who sent me into the world, nor what the world is, nor what I myself am. I am terribly ignorant of everything. Now, this is from a brilliant guy, by the way. I know not what my body is, nor my senses, nor my soul, and that part of me which thinks what I say, which reflects upon itself as well as all external things, and has no more knowledge of itself than of them, that is, of those external things. I see the terrifying immensity of the universe which surrounds me and find myself limited to one corner of this vast expanse without knowing why I am set down here rather than elsewhere, nor why the brief period of time appointed for my life is assigned to me at this moment rather than another in all the eternity that has gone before and will come after me. On all sides, I behold nothing but infinity in which I am a mere atom, a mere passing shadow, a shadow that returns no more. All I know is that I must soon die, but what I understand least of all is this very death which I cannot escape. So he was addressing the conundrum of anybody who doesn't believe in God, who is without Christ. So I had a, uh, a somewhat friend um, for some years. Um, he did not go to this church, but his uh, daughter, his adopted daughter went to this church. And... Uh, you know, I'm a, a single guy, and so uh, I used to go home to visit my mom at Thanksgiving, sometimes at Christmas, but it got to where that wasn't uh, a possibility. And so this this woman, her and her husband and their family, um, would invite me to their home for Christmas many times, sometimes Thanksgiving. And uh, this man was her adopted father, and he was an atheist, and he was Jewish. I know that's strange, right? A Jewish atheist. And he was a civil rights lawyer. So he was very smart. And we used to have discussions about faith, about God, about whether God existed, about all sorts of things. And when we had these personal discussions, um, it was very interesting. It was, uh, uh, I was like having discussions with Bill, uh, 
you know, uh, your your husband, Bill Cotrere, we would have these discussions. And they were not angry discussions. They were animated, but they were not angry or disrespectful and so forth. Um, well, sadly, the, the woman who was uh, a part of our church, her and her family, informed me uh, this week that this man passed away. Well, I hope that he got beyond this kind of this life is all there is type of approach because as as smart as he was and by the way he was a good cook too um as entertaining as he was and enjoyable as he was to be around i don't know what to make of where he is now you know i'm not one of these folks that just wants to automatically consign everyone who doesn't think the same way to hell but i will tell you this we must all come before Christ. He's the judge. And the only hope that I can offer anyone, as I mentioned to you all that are here in the room, a member of our church lost her mother this week. And, uh, you know, I, they want me to do a memorial service on Friday and I will tell them what I tell, uh, you know, people at any memorial service or funeral that I do. The only hope that you have for life beyond the grave is Jesus. Right? Anything that anyone says to you beyond putting your faith in Jesus is just speculation. Jesus is the only one that conquered death, right? The light of eternal life has come into the world, and that's Jesus. Um, the scripture says in 2 Timothy 1.10, and I did quote this on Sunday morning, that uh, Jesus abolished death, abolished, right? Removed it, put it away and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And as I said Sunday morning, I want you to notice that life and immortality are separated there. He's not saying this is just one way of saying, or two ways of saying the same thing. Life is the quality of life that we can have in Christ. Immortality is the quantity of life, life that goes on and on and on. Listen to what William Barclay says about this. Clearly, whatever else eternal life is, it is not simply life which lasts forever. A life which lasted forever could be a terrible curse. Often the thing for which many people long is released from life. This is why, and I'm not advocating this certainly, but this is why some people will uh, decide to commit suicide. They think that it's an end to the pain of this life. But in eternal life, there must be more than duration, Barclay says. There must be a certain quality of life. So what we're talking about, we're talking about life that is in Christ, the light of life, is this God quality life, right? Um, death came into the world because of sin, okay? God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will certainly die, okay? In the New Testament, it continues, for the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel writes, for the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Death is the result of sin. But I want you to look at death uh, not only as a curse, as separation from God, but also as a possible mercy, 
death came into the world because of sin. God separated Adam and Eve from himself as punishment. But what was it that would keep them alive? The tree of life, right? It explicitly says in Genesis chapter 3, when it talks about the fact that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Why? So they could not eat from the tree of life and live, continue living forever. So there was a, an angel with a flaming sword that kept them from getting back to that tree of life that would sustain them forever. Well, mercy, this, this separation from uh, that tree was mercy because for them to live on in their sinful state would have been horrific. Consider the following illustration from William Lane Craig's book, On Guard. This is a, um, a book that I can recommend to you that gives, uh, so I said that, um, that uh, the, uh, the previous quote that I gave from Blaise Pascal was an apologetic, I didn't use that term at, the po at that point, but it was an apologetic, which is uh, giving rationale or reasons for the faith uh, from Blaise Pascal. Well, this book, On Guard, is a book of apologetics that is very accessible to people. It's written so that those in churches can read it and have reasons for their faith. So I can recommend it, okay? On Guard, William Lane Craig. This is what he says that I think is an illustration of what we're talking about regarding uh, death possibly being a mercy. But it's important to see that it's not just immortality that, uh, that man needs life if life is to be meaningful. So life is not meaningful just because it goes on forever. Mere duration of existence does not make that existence meaningful. If man and the universe could exist forever, but if there were no God, their existence was still, would still have no ultimate significance. Can you imagine just living on and on in a pointless, meaningless life? Even this life that you're living now, I'm sure you find some meaning in it, but I will tell you, and some of you are older than me, but I will tell you the older you get, the less value you find in the here and now, the more you see the, nece the necessity of the hereafter. And then Craig writes, William Lane Craig that is, I once read a science fiction story in which an astronaut was marooned on a barren chunk of rock lost in outer space. He had with him two vials, one containing poison and the other a potion that would make him live forever. So I want you to imagine you're an astronaut going through space. Somehow you crash land on an asteroid, a barren piece of rock with no hope for rescue. You have two vials. You have one that will bring certain death and one that will give you immortality. But that is, you'll just keep living forever on that barren piece of rock. Which would you drink? Realizing his predicament, he gulped down the poison. But then, to his horror, he discovered he had swallowed the wrong bile. He had drunk the potion for immortality. 
And that meant he was cursed to exist forever, a meaningless, unending life. And then Craig observes, now, if God does not exist, our lives are just like that, right? So there is a sense in which death is a mercy. Now, um, we certainly need to understand that death is the punishment for sin, but it's a mercy for the sinner separated from God. That's not to say that physical death is the end of it all. Every human being will be resurrected, the righteous to live eternally in the presence of God, the unrighteous to be judged and destroyed in hell. The scripture says in um, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for everyone once to die and then comes judgment. But there comes an end, an end to a life lived in a sinful, fallen world, right? So what I'm trying to help you understand is human beings are not naturally immortal, okay? Eternal life is a gift from God. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, so you'll understand, and there's more than just these two verses, but so that you understand, I'm not just saying this. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality. God is the only natively, intrinsically immortal being and dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. God is the only natively, intrinsically immortal being and he is the one who gives eternal life. So here we have Jesus whom the scripture says here in John 1, in him was what? Life. And that life was the light of mankind or humankind. Then I skip to verse 9 because it focuses on the fact that this life that Jesus is, this light of life that he is, is offered to every human being. It enlightens every human being. Verse nine says, this was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. The light of life that is in Jesus enlightens every person. Eternal life is available then to everyone, not just a select few. All that is necessary is faith. And we find that in uh, chapter this very chapter, uh, John chapter one, verse 12. And we'll get to that. If a, per- if a person seeks what is good and right, they will find eternal life in Christ. We find that in Romans chapter two. If someone honestly seeks God, they will find him through Christ. The problem, y'all, people aren't seeking God. They don't care. They're distracted. We're so worldly minded, we're no heavenly good. We're so busy looking after our immediate concerns and needs and survival and pleasure that we're not even thinking about an afterlife. When the reality is the afterlife ought to preoccupy our thinking on a regular basis. We ought to realize that this is temporary, okay? Once again, you know, our sister Teresa just lost her mom at the age of 62. I'm 60. And I'm still thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow and this life. And hey, listen, man, you need to be ready. You know when you're going to go. 
And our brother Jake was you know, telling us that his father died in his 40s. And I know a number of people that have died in their 40s. Our brother Jonathan, you know, he passed away at the age of nine. You don't know how long you have. Stop being stupid. Stop focusing on this. This isn't all there is. Jesus is the light of life. Follow Jesus. You're looking at the here and now because this is what you have a hold of. But the reality is you need to let go of that and trust the Lord. The philosopher Immanuel Kant said long ago that two things convinced him of the existence of God, the starry heavens above him and the moral law within him. God has left a witness, that's the light of himself, and that witness is in the human conscience and in the creation, right? So this light that enlightens every person is available to everyone, even those who have not expressed faith, right? Look at the sky above. Go, you know, get, get away from the lights of the city and, you know, look at the stars above. Look at creation. It is created. Go to my home state of Arizona and visit the Grand Canyon. Go to Colorado and visit the Rockies. I challenge you, I challenge you to maintain atheism in the view of that beauty. And it amazes me that people can, okay? God has made clear testimony of himself in your conscience, as we would call it, right? That sense that you have of right and wrong, even if you don't always have the right and the wrong correctly, the very fact that you know there's a right and a wrong, okay, is the word, right? In the beginning was the word, the order, the rationale of life in you. Listen to what it says in Romans 1, 19 and 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, conscience. For God has made it evident to them. How has he made it evident to them? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, known, clearly understood by what has been made. So they're without excuse. So people would say, well, what about, you know, people in other parts of the world that have never heard about Jesus? You are only responsible for the amount of revelation that God has made available to you. But God in every human being's conscience and abundantly available to all of us as we look up and around at creation has made evident the reality that there is the light of life. We may not know that light of life as Christ, but if we seek the good and we seek glory and we seek what is right, then God is going to lead us to Christ. And that's clearly what it says in um, Romans chapter two. All right, um, and then verse five, and again, we covered this on Sunday morning. So we went, we went down to verse nine, okay? Because I wanted you to see the universality of God's offer of the light of life. But then back to verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overpower it or overtake it or grasp it, or comprehend it. All of those are words that can be used to translate that Greek word. So I talked on Sunday about the 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 spreading spiritual darkness that we see in our world. And I'm sure you, as well as I, have seen how many people have turned away 
from God. They've turned away from the gospel. They've turned their backs on the Bible, right? Very interesting. This um, is like the approach of winter. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why Christians located the birth of Christ on December 25th. They didn't know when Jesus was born. It is likely Jesus was born in March or April. Why do I say that? Because in Luke, when it indicates that the angels visited the shepherds, it says the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks when? By night. They would not have done that in the winter time. The flocks would have been kept in uh, a pen at night in the winter time. But in the summer, the flock would have been feeding on the mountainside. And so the shepherds would have been out overnight keeping watch over the flocks. It is likely. And in the earliest days, by the way, before um, Christ's birth was celebrated, um, the earliest assessments of his birth were um, as late as May, right? But interestingly, in the Roman Empire, there was a celebration that occurred in the wintertime. And this actually came somewhat after Christ. And it was the celebration of Sol Invictus, Latin for the invincible sun. So I want you to imagine yourself in antiquity. Okay, you don't have clocks. Everything is measured by the stars and measured by the sun. And as winter approaches, as, as you know, summer gives way to winter, what happens with the sun? Less and less and less. The days are shorter and shorter and shorter. When is the shortest day? December 20th, 21st, okay? The winter solstice. But then after the 20th or the 21st, gradually the days start getting longer. And so pagans celebrated Sol Invictus, that darkness could not conquer the sun. Christians said, no, no, no. We need to celebrate the invincible sun, S-O-N, right? He brings light into our darkness, direction to our lives, hope to our despair. No matter how bad it gets, and I don't know how bad it is for you right now, but no matter how bad it gets, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. That's what he said. If we follow him, if we walk behind him, we will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life always with us. So that's what Jesus said, by the way, in this very book, John, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness all right, so we're going to skip over verses 6 through 8. They concern John the Baptist as a witness to the light, as a witness to Christ. But we're going to return to these verses after the prologue when we focus on the Baptist. And we've already looked at verse 9. So now let's go to verses 11, uh, excuse me, 10 and 11. He was in the world, that is the word, right, Christ, and the world came into being through him. So we've already covered that. He's the agent of creation. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own or his own people and his own people did not accept him. Well, let's go back. 
What does John mean by the world? Because he uses that on a number of occasions, most famously in John 3, 16. Okay? For God so loved the world. What does he mean by the world? Um, clearly, this is not the universe. It's not the earth or the world system. John is using the term in the same way as he does in John 3.16 when he says, for God so loved the world. The world here means the people of the world, the people of the world who are fallen, who are mired in sin, the people who do not know God. And this, of course, is affirmed by verse 11. Okay, he was in the world, that's verse 10, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. Then verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. So verse 11 focuses on his own people, the Jewish people who did not accept him because they didn't know him or his father. John 8, 19 says this. So they were saying to him, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So he's talking about the godless world, the fallen world the world that is separated from God, yet those people God still loves, you and I. Jesus sought to reveal himself through his works and through his words. And you can check John 5.36 and 10.25. Rather than self-promotion. So today, you know, everybody is all about promoting their brand, right? Got a YouTube channel. You got a TikTok, Right? You got your, you know, whatever your social media is, and you, you're trying to promote your brand, you know, get your image out there. I get these emails all the time about, you know, how we need to improve the image of our church. And would you like me to, you know, refurbish your website and manage your social media and all of this? It's about an external image, which is, not, by the way, not the real thing. Okay. Um, Jesus didn't seek to promote an image. He wasn't a self-promoter. Those who had eyes to see and ears to hear realized that only God could be doing the things that Jesus did. You can check that in John 7, 46 and John 9, 33. Sadly, the religious leaders of Jesus' time failed to recognize him. So the people that you would assume would know that the Messiah had come didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. They were spiritually blind. In fact, that's the message of the entirety of John chapter 9 is spiritual blindness. And there's a man born blind that Jesus healed that uh, is the symbol of Christ giving life and light to those who are spiritually blind. Their selfish ambition, their jealousy, their pride kept them from believing the clear signs that Jesus was and is the Son of God. Down to our day, Jesus will reveal himself to anybody who genuinely seeks God. However, people don't seek God naturally. We have to be prompted. We have to be awakened. Okay, kind of like this. How many of you are morning people? Are you a morning person? Oh, nobody raised their hand. <laughs> one person. One person raised their hand and one person kind of went, eh. Right. I listen, man, it's it's evident when we start our services at 11 o'clock and I look in this room and I'm like, uh, where is everybody? That a lot of our people are not morning people. OK, what has to happen to get you out of bed? 
alarm clock, right? Okay. Somebody's got a, how many of you have kids and they're not morning people? So what do you got to do? Man, I'm telling you. Okay. Your, your grandson, Jacob, I, you know, I took that kid to camp one year. Oh my goodness. Getting him out of bed. I don't know how, I don't know how your son and daughter handled that for years. So, you know, we got to get out of bed and we got to get, it's camp and we got to get him to, to breakfast. And, uh, you know, he's laying there and he won't get out of bed. So I said, Jacob, you need to get up. I said, Jacob, you need to get up or I'm going to pour water on you. I absolutely did. And he went, you got water on my I'm like, your phone's fine. But sometimes you need something to awaken you, don't you? Right? We're asleep to Christ. We're like, uh, sometimes something needs to wake us up. Hopefully it's not a tragedy, but sometimes it is, you know? The Lord's got to do what he's got to do to wake us up, okay? Um, But what we need to realize is that people aren't seeking him So he is going to take the initiative. In fact, that always has to be the case. God takes the initiative through what theologians call prevenient grace, okay? God is stepping out ahead of us and offering us grace before we seek him. The gospel must be preached so that faith can be activated in those who will pay attention. God takes the initiative, though, through prevenient grace, but you must still respond. So the reality is Jacob could have just laid there in his wet bed and not gotten up. He didn't have to get up. He could have gotten so mad at me that he just turned over and refused to get up. In fact, I know he was at camp several times with a youth minister who tried to get him out of bed and he just wouldn't get out of bed. Would not get out of bed. I'm telling you, that don't work with me. I'll drag you by the heel. You will bounce on the ground, but you are getting out of bed. That ain't going to happen, right? But, you know, God's good to us. He loves us. But honestly, you know, if he's got to drag us out to wake us up, uh, it might not be pleasant at the time, okay? But that's what the scripture says about discipline. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but in the end, it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness. So God's got to wake us up. This is why I preach Jesus. This is why I preach the gospel. And still, people ignore it. They reject him. They turn away from him. Focus on their phones instead of the gospel. And I, frankly, friends, those of you online, I pray for a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I pray that God will do what he needs to do to wake you up. Okay? And then John 1, 12 and 13, um, this is probably what we're going to focus on Sunday morning, so I'll only touch on it here. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believe on his name, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we've already encountered verse 12 in our study earlier because I brought it up several times in the earlier verses. Um, But it should be noted that it actually comes after this statement about the world rejecting Christ or refusing to recognize Jesus 
and his people rejecting him. Yet there were, and there are, and I hope these are you, those who received Jesus. Do you reject Jesus or do you receive Jesus? Only those who receive and believe in Jesus are reborn through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said in John 3, 3 and 5, right? He said, unless you're reborn, unless you're born from above, unless you're born again, you cannot even perceive the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, what does it mean? It says here, those who received him and believed in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? Well, first, what is his name? So to this point, we've only been introduced to the word, okay? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. We've talked about that. But what was the name of the word who became flesh, which we'll see in verse 14? His name is Jesus, Yasus in Greek. What is it in Hebrew? Yeshua. What does that mean? Yah, short version of Yahweh, Shua, saves. Yahweh saves. So he is the Savior, okay? Um, we're going to see a little bit later in this chapter that um, John the Baptist, who I just skipped over three verses that refer to him because we're going to focus on those. But John the Baptist saw Jesus walking by him and pointed to him and said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's Yeshua, the one who takes away the sins of the world. So to believe in his name means to believe that he's the Savior. Jesus what? Christ, Christos. What does that mean? That's not Jesus' last name. Okay, it's not his surname. Christos is a title. It means he is the chosen one. He is Messiah. He is God's chosen one sent to the world. So if we believe in his name, we're believing that he is these things, right? Um, to believe in his name means to believe that he is who he claimed to be, the only son of God, one with the Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to what William Barclay says. Hebrew thought and language had a way of using the name, which is strange to us. By that expression, believe in the name, the name, by that expression, Jewish thought did not so much mean the name by which individuals were called, okay, the name by which you are called, as their nature insofar as it was revealed and known. To trust in the name of Jesus, therefore, means to put our trust in what he is. It is John's great central doctrine that in Jesus, we see the very mind of God. That's what it means to call Jesus the word. So this also encompasses Jesus' identification with the divine name. Craig Keener says, believing in Jesus' name probably represents an allusion to the divine name. The name, Hashem, was a circumlocution for God involving his honor. That's what Keener says. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus identifies himself using the Greek phrase, ego eimi, ego eimi. 
That means I am. There are a number of I am statements that we will encounter in John. John 426, 6:20, 8:24, 8:28, 8:58, 13:19, 18:5-8. Lexham Bible Dictionary says this. In John's gospel, the frequent phrase ego eimi, I am, is likely alluding to the tetragrammaton. The tetragrammaton is a big theological word that means God's name. Four letters Four letters, four Hebrew letters, Yod, He, Vav, He. We think this was pronounced Yahweh, Yahweh. There were no vowels in Hebrew. There were consonants that were vowel-like in nature. Aleph and Ayin are two of them, but there were no vowels, okay? Vowels were understood after Hebrew was no longer pronounced and the people spoke Aramaic, a group of scholars came along called the Masoretes and they put vowel pointing over the consonants, right? They specifically vowel pointed yod he vav with the vowels for Adonai, which in Hebrew is the word for Lord, because they wanted people to avoid using God's holy name in vain. And therefore, every time you read or uh, canted aloud the scripture, when you encountered the tetragrammaton, yod vav God's holy name, you would say, not Yahweh, you would say Adonai. Okay? So here we have Lord associated with God's holy name, right? Um, God is the great I am. That's the root meaning of Yahweh. When we, when we read God introducing his name to Moses in Exodus chapter three, Moses says, well, who do I tell the, you know, the Hebrews sent me? And God said, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Yahweh is related to the Hebrew word for being or existence. It's related to this idea of the I am. So when Jesus refers to himself as the I am in John, he's identifying himself with God, right? When Jesus is called Lord in the New Testament, it is identifying him with God. So to believe in the name of Jesus, to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to those he, became, he gave the right to become children of God. To believe in his name means to believe that he is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is one with God the Father. You don't have the right to call Jesus anything other than what he called himself. Jesus claimed to be the one and only son of the one true God. And that's what it means to believe in his name. And that, my friends, is what saves us, is putting our faith in him. The fundamental confession of the Christian faith is Jesus is Lord. That means he's in charge, he's the king, but it also means he's God. 
Jesus is God. He's one with the Father. He's the unique Son of God. When we become children of God, we're not the same as the Son of God. Okay? Interestingly, John only uses Son of God to refer to Jesus. He uses a different word. Huios is the Greek for son. He uses a different word for us as we are adopted into the family of God and regenerated or reborn. Technon, children of God. That's what we become. But Jesus is the only begotten son of God. And it is only through Jesus that you and I can become children of God. Amen? All right. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us here. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, You can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests, all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically all you need to do is text the word LIFEWELL from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list and you'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week. 